Welcome to the Determined Truth Podcast. I want the truth. You can't handle the truth. Where we aim to explore questions of truth, the scriptures, and what it means for the church today. Here's your host, Rob Dalrymple. Today's podcast is from a sermon series I did on the Gospel of Luke. I hope you enjoy. Good morning. My name is Rob Dump. I'm the pastor here at North Minister. It's good to see you all this morning. And we have uh, about 20 or 25 or more of us out at Calvin Crest, the uh, uh, campgrounds, doing a work weekend this morning. So it's a sparse crowd this morning, but it's, it's good to see you all. We're continuing our study of the Gospel of Luke because I'm back. I know you all miss me. Don't, you don't, I know, I know. You don't have to worry about saying it, but uh, we had a great time with our, uh, uh, another graduation. Our son graduated uh, back in, uh, in D.C. last weekend. So a wedding coming up next month. Uh, and then our family things are, are coming to an end for at least a, at least a, a little season. So we appreciate uh, all that you've given to us in our prayers and your prayers for us as well. But this morning we're in the Gospel of Luke again. Uh, last, uh, a couple weeks ago when I, when I spoke last, we looked at Jesus' sermon of the parable of the sower. And the sower goes out and sows four kinds of soil, receive the seeds. Uh, and this morning we're going to look at three stories in Luke chapter 8 that illustrate for us the application of that parable. What does it mean to take the Word of God and put it into practice? What's that look like and how do we respond uh, uh, to, to the, the sowing of the soils. If you have your Bibles, open them up to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 8. It's page 732 in the Pew Bibles. <clears throat> and uh, let me also make a couple of other quick announcements that I forgot, and that is, one, if you are um, interested in baptisms or being baptized, let me know. We're planning a couple baptism services coming up here in the next month. So please let me know about that. But uh, Gospel of Luke, chapter 8. The chapter begins... Well, Jesus is telling a parable. And the parable, I think, is the most important parable in all the scriptures. It's the parable of the sower. He tells the parable, a sower goes out to sow his seeds, and he spread the seeds, and some fell on the roadside, and the birds snatched it away. And some fell among the thorns, and it grew a plant, but the thorns choked it away. And some fell among the, the, the stones, and, and it also grew a plant, but eventually the stones caused it to be choked away. But some of the seed, he says, fell upon the good soil. And it bore fruit. 30, 16, 100 fold. Now Jesus turns around then and he says next, he says in Luke 8 verse 10, he says, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God have been given to you. Now, if you're one of the disciples, you're like, well, that's all great, Jesus, but all I know is like there's a bunch of seeds, some soils are good and some are bad. I have no clue what you mean. If you've grown up in the church, you've had the advantage of hearing Jesus' parables and having them explained to you. But you've got to remember, in the first century world, they are clueless. They have not been to Sunday school. They haven't been to catechism. They haven't been any. They don't know. All they know is, a sower goes out to sow. Okay, that's cool. And seed falls, some on the roadside, and the bird snatch it away. Wow! And some falls among the thorns, and it chokes it. And some falls among the rocky, the stones, and it, and, and, but some's the good soil. They're like, well, that's great. To you, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God has been given. And Jesus goes on then to explain the parable of the sower. And he says, well, here's what it means. Only to the disciples, by the way, who ask him, what does it mean? He says, well, here's what happens. Sometimes I'm spraying the, the seed, and the seed is the word of God. I'm going out to the countrysides and, and the cities, and, and I'm preaching about the gospel of the kingdom of God. 
and some people won't listen at all because the birds are the devil and the devil has snatched up the seed before it can even sink into their heart. Oh, that's, I, I get it. All right, some of the soil, uh, it, the people receive the word that's sowed and, and it bears a plant, but then the worries of life, the deceitfulness of riches and pleasure and power, and, it, and it's the thorns and, it, and, it, and the soil and, and, the, and, and it chokes it away and it doesn't bear any fruit. And some of the seed also falls upon soil that also bears a plant. And then suffering and persecution comes. And these are the stones. And they decide, I don't want suffering and persecution. I'm out also, and it never bears fruit. But some of the seed falls upon the good soil. And even when the thorns and the worries of life and the deceitfulness of riches and power and money and pleasure all try to choke it away, it doesn't choke it away. And when the stones come and persecution and suffering comes, they still bear fruit. Great. And the question now becomes this. What does it mean to bear fruit? The parable ends with this phrase, what Jesus is saying in verse, chapter 8, verse 16 through 18. No one lights a lamp and hides it in a clay jar or puts it under a bed. Instead, they put it on a stand so that those who come in can see the light, for there is nothing hidden that cannot be disclosed and nothing concealed that will not be known or brought out into the open. Therefore, consider carefully how you listen. And the disciples are like, Okay, that doesn't make any sense either, Jesus. Because what does that have to do with the parable of the sower? A sower goes out to sow seeds. Be careful how you listen. It seems as though Jesus has simply gone from one topic to another topic. One topic is the sower that goes out and sows seeds and it needs to bear fruit, despite thorns and stones, bear fruit anyways. And then all of a sudden he turns his topics and it's, no one lights a lamp and hides it under a jar or puts it under a bed. We realize, however, that the lamp is Jesus. He's talking about himself and his answer is, I didn't come to be hidden. If you want to be the good soil, if you want to be the seed that bears fruit, if you want to be careful how you listen, then you need to know something very clear and that's this. I did not come to be put under a bed. If you're going to listen to me, if you're going to do as I said, if you're going to follow, if you believe in me, then you can't hide me. You can't just be, I'll go to church on Sunday morning and everything else will be fine Monday through Saturday. I'll go back to my old way. That won't work if I'm going to come into your life. If I'm going to transform you into my child, I'm not coming to be hidden. Chapter 8, verse 21. I've got to change this here. There we go. Um, uh, I'm apologizing now because this is messing up. There we go. Chapter 8, verse 21. My mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and put it into practice. If we hear the word of God and we put it into practice, we have become the brothers and sisters of Jesus. But the question then is, is what does putting it into practice look like? And Jesus is now going to tell us, or Luke's going to tell us now, three stories. These three stories are going to illustrate what putting it into practice looks like. And the first one is Jesus calms the storm with his disciples. Uh, Luke 8.22, one day Jesus said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side of the lake. So they got into a boat and set out. As they sailed, they fell asleep. A squall came down in the lake, so the boat was being swamped, and they were in great danger. The disciples... Uh, uh, sorry, next slide. The disciples went and woke Jesus up, saying, Master, Master, we're going to drown. 
He got up and rebuked the wind and the, and the raging waters. The storm subsided and all was calm. Where is your faith? He asked his disciples. In fear and amazement, they asked one another, Who is this? He even commands the winds and the waters, and they obey him. Who is this? Even the wind and the waters obey him. You've got to remember, some of Jesus' disciples were fishermen who used to fish on the Sea of Galilee. They are used to these kind of storms. The storm arises, and what do they do? Jesus, Jesus. Actually, they go, Master, Master, save us. Master, Master is a good response to Jesus. You see, remember, these stories are going to illustrate what it means to listen carefully, to take what Jesus says and apply it in their lives. And now here comes a circumstance, difficult, trying situations, and they go to Jesus and they say, Master, Master. They respond to the miracle by saying, Who is this? Even the wind and the, even the, wind and the waves... See, we read the psalm, Rob read it earlier, that God controls the storms and the seas. The disciples are being confronted with Jesus, and their response is, Master, Master... You see, Master, Master is good, but He's more than your Master. He's Lord. And the disciples are yet to figure this out. They will, by the way, in chapter 9. They're going to, oh, you're the Lord. But right now it's Master, Master. Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Verse 26. They sailed then to the region of the Gerasenes, which is across the lake from, the, from Galilee. And when Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. For a long time, this man had not worn clothes or lived in a house, but had lived in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had commanded the impure spirit to come out of the man. Many times it had seized him, and though he was chained hand and foot and kept under guard, he had broken his chains and had been driven by the demon into solitary places. Jesus asked him, What is your name? Legion, he replied, because many demons had gone into him. And they begged Jesus repeatedly not to order them to go into the abyss. A herd of large pigs was feeding there on the hillside. The demons begged Jesus to let them go into the pigs, and he gave them permission. But when the demons came out of the man, they went into the pigs, and the herd rushed deep down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. When those tending, saw the pigs, uh, tending the pigs saw what had happened, they ran off and reported this in the town and countryside. And the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to see to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone out, sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people how the demon-possessed man had been cured. Here's a picture of the Sea of Galilee. This picture is taken from the west side, most likely where the, where the disciples had started out from. The, the storm would have come across the west side to, to the east. This is the eastern hills uh, uh, over there. Now, the disciples appear to be crossing over from the west side, and they appear to be going over here to this side of the lake, the eastern side of the lake. And we know that for a number of reasons. One, of course, is because there's pigs present. And there would have been no pigs on the Jewish side of the lake. There would be pigs over on the eastern shore, which is the region of uh, the Gerasenes. Uh, this map here shows you now, um, uh, right up in this area here, don't worry about the writing here, right up in this area here is likely the, uh, the area where this particular miracle took place. In the northeastern shore of the Sea of Galilee, 
a region called Kursi uh, or Gadara. And this map, th here, don't worry about the writing itself, but notice the colors. What the colors of this map are showing you is different regions or districts within the Roman world. So here's the Sea of Galilee, and you see the purple here. The purple extends from the northern part all the way down the west to the southern part. That's Galilee. Galilee is a Jewish area, and there would be no pigs in the Jewish area. But it tells us that they crossed over the sea, likely to this green area, and the, the green area here on the southeastern side, uh, up to the middle of the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee, is a region called the Decapolis. 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 Decapolis means ten cities. The Roman Empire, this is, this is the far eastern border of the Roman Empire at the time of Jesus, and the Romans had established ten cities over here on the eastern side of the, of the Jordan River, and they wanted these cities to, to be totally Roman cities, so that no matter where you are, even though you're in the distant end, uh, ends of the eastern side of the Roman Empire, you know you're in Rome. And if you go to any of these cities and the remains of some of them today, uh, and Jerash is perhaps one of the most well-known and, and well-preserved cities, but the modern-day capital of Amman, in, uh, the capital of Jordan, is one of these ancient cities. Uh, they are well-preserved Roman cities. They are Roman through and through. Colonnades, streets, temples to Jupiter, and all kinds of impressive, impressive sites. And it's over here in the Decapolis that one of the regions of, uh, of the Gerasenes, uh, where this demoniac lived, and we know that we're in the Gentile areas, of course, because there happen to be pigs present. The, now, this is perhaps very possibly the actual site of this particular miracle. These are caves and tombs. And, and, and right behind, I didn't take this photo, but I have one very similar to, uh, in my own library. Uh, right behind me, if I were taking this photo, right behind the picture, person taking this photo, is about two miles down the hill is the Sea of Galilee. So right up against the, the Sea of Galilee here, these are the caves, and right below where this picture would be taken would be the ancient city of Kersi. And as the man was chained up in the tombs and the caves, he was such a demoniac and so volatile and so violent that they had to chain him down. And they chained him up by the tombs. Now this is a picture of the Sea of Galilee, and you can see in this region of Kersi uh, how the sea goes almost right directly into the sea. Or, I'm sorry, the land goes almost right directly into the sea. So right up in about this area here would be the caves that I just showed you. So if the man, if the if the demons leave uh, uh, the man and go into the pigs, and they just run straight into the sea, uh, we can picture how that might have taken place. Now the man was naked. Possessed by demons. Note, by the way, he has no name in the story. His chief characteristic is he's demon-possessed. Everything about the story is, uh, is someone who's unclean. We're in a Gentile territory. Gentiles were considered by Jews unclean people. You cannot eat with a Gentile. In the Jewish world, you cannot ever enter into a Gentile's home because the Gentiles eat unclean foods and therefore their home is unclean. More than that, this man has an unclean spirit. He's a demon uh, filled with, uh, uh, with demons. He lives among the tombs, which are unclean because they're dead, and then he, uh, the demons are cast into pigs. Now, the demons, by the way, make a request. This is often misunderstood. The, to Jesus, you know, uh, my name is Legion, for we are many, they, they reply. Um, Please, don't cast us into the abyss. Uh, the abyss, uh, in, in the Greek world, is, is another name. It could be another name for hell. Uh, it's a, it basically means a bottomless pit. Um, and, but it's synonymous with the sea. Um, by the way, in the book of Revelation, hell is referred to as a lake of fire. 
Uh, Revelation 21 has a, uh, an interesting statement. It says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there's no longer any sea. And you're like, what does no sea have to do with it? Because the sea is synonymous with hell. So the demons will go up to Jesus and say, hey, look, don't cast us into hell. And it looks like Jesus is like nice to the demons. And then he grants the request by letting the demons be cast into the pigs. But he doesn't grant the request, because where do the pigs go? Into the sea. And the sea is synonymous with the abyss, or with hell, etc. Now, by the way, this is going to be a serious problem for the people in Gadara, uh, or the Gerasenes, or Kersey, whatever city he may be in, because that's a lot of pigs. And if you own the pigs, there goes your money. That, that, I mean, imagine a business being destroyed in one moment. Jesus is not good for business. And here comes the question. When Jesus enters town, even though he's not good for business, what are you going to do? How are you going to respond? Remember, these stories are being told to illustrate, be careful how you listen. I have come as a lamp not to be put under a bed. The, de the, the disciples are then brought to the Sea of Galilee, and, and this tumultuous storm arises, and their response is, Master, Master, save us. Because they were afraid. Now, Jesus has come into the city of Kersey, up in the region of the Decapolis, and he's not good for business. Economic harm is going to come your way. How do you respond? And the man responds... Uh, I'm gonna, well, I'll go to the next slide because I can't advance. Here we go. The next slide says the man was healed physically, religiously, and socially. Jesus doesn't just heal this man. The man is healed physically, religiously, and socially. But now look in verse 37 and see how the people respond. Then all the people of the region of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave because they were overcome with fear. So he got in the boat and left. The, the man from whom the demons had gone out begged to go with Jesus, but Jesus sent them away saying, Return home and tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told all over town how much Jesus had done for him. The man responds by telling everyone. The man does exactly what the parable says. A lamp has come not to be hidden. I have come not to be hidden under bed. And the man goes off and tells everybody about Jesus. By the way, notice that the description of the man is he's being portrayed as a disciple of Jesus. The earlier verse says, He came and he sat at the feet of Jesus, fully clothed. Now, the fully clothed means he's being restored socially and physically, and religiously. And then he goes off and tells everybody about what Jesus has done. The final story is actually two stories. Verse 40, beginning at chapter 8, verse 40. When Jesus had returned, a crowd welcomed him, for they were all expecting him. And a man named Jairus, a synagogue leader, came and fell at Jesus' feet. So we can see we're back on the west side of the lake. Um, pleading with Jesus to come to his house because his only daughter... A girl of about 12 was dying. As Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him. Verse 43, a, a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. She came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak, and immediately her bleeding stopped. Who touched me, Jesus asked. When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, 
The people are crowding and pressing against you. But Jesus said, someone touched me. I know the power has gone out from me. Notice again that Peter calls him Master. Verse 47, Then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling at his and fell at his feet. In the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. Then he said to her daughter, Your faith has healed you. Go in peace. We'll finish the, second, the story here in just a moment, but the story is interrupted with another story. The story begins with Jesus having a, a synagogue leader saying, Come heal my daughter. She's 12 years old. While Jesus is en route to heal his daughter, a woman who had a bleeding problem for 12 years comes up and touches Jesus. The question for the day is, be careful how you listen. What are you going to do when you're confronted with Jesus? When the thorns and thistles and the stones come up, trials and tribulations, suffering and persecution, are you going to bear fruit or not? The disciples are confronted with thorns and thistles, and they go, Master, Master, who is this guy? The Gadarene demoniac is confronted with Jesus, and what does he do? He tells everybody who Jesus is. This woman with a bleeding problem is confronted with Jesus, and you see there's a problem. She's unclean. Uh, anytime bodily fluids leave your body, a bleeding problem of any nature, whatever, it makes you ritually un impure and unclean. A ritually un impure person means you can't touch anybody else. For 12 years, this woman has had no human contact. And if she's had any human contact at all, they become unclean. She sees Jesus, probably thinking, I'm not worthy to go to him. I'm not worthy for him to come to me. So I know what I'll do. I'll sneak up in a crowd, which means she touches other people trying to get to Jesus, hoping that they don't even notice. She touches Jesus and she's healed. Jesus, however, doesn't let it go unnoticed. Somebody touched me. Master! Again, the disciples not recognizing who Jesus is. Not fully recognizing who he is. Not recognizing him as Lord. Master, of course someone touched you. Look at the crowd. Somebody touched me because power went out from me. And the woman's moment of crisis has arisen. The seed has fallen. Is she the soil amongst the thorns, the stones, or the good soil? And what does she do? She tells everybody what had, what had happened to her. Why she had touched him and how she had instantly been healed. And he said, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. The woman responds by confessing in Jesus. Now the story continues in verse 49. While Jesus was still speaking, someone from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader, said, your daughter is dead. He said, don't bother the teacher anymore. Hearing this, Jesus said to Jairus, don't be afraid. Just believe and she'll be healed. When he arrived at the house of Jairus, he did not let anyone go in with him except Peter, John, and James, the child's father and mother. Meanwhile, all the people were wailing and mourning for her. Stop wailing, Jesus said. She's not dead, but asleep. They laughed at him, knowing that she was dead, but took her by the hand and said, my child, get up. Her spirit returned, and at once she stood up. Then Jesus told them to give her something to eat. Notice again the similarities between the story of the child and the story of, of, of the woman. In both cases, the child and the woman are both females. In both cases, they're unclean. The woman has a bleeding problem, which makes her unclean. The child is dead, which makes her unclean. 
In both cases, there's 12 years involved. The woman had been bleeding for 12 years. The child was 12 years old. We are clearly meant to read these two stories in light of each other. The question is this. Be careful how you listen. How are you going to respond to Jesus? The woman with the bleeding problem responds by telling the truth. Jairus' and his, and his wife and his family respond by believing. And by believing, what happens? The child is risen up. But notice also that in both cases, the people are restored to the community. And this is an important point. In both healings, the healing of the woman and the raising of the child, they're both restored to the community. With the healing of the woman, Jesus said to her, Go in peace, which in Hebrew is shalom. The problem with the word shalom and translating it into English is that we don't really have a good way of translating it. Uh, shalom is a, a greeting. Shalom is also something you say when someone leaves. Uh, and we simply translate it as go in peace or be in peace or peace be with you. But it means so much more than that. It means be restored to society. May you be at peace in a social way. For a woman who has not had any physical contact for 12 years, go in peace means be restored back to society. You're welcome. You're one with everybody now. You can go to dinners and fellowships and synagogues and, and parties. You can go to the marketplace and not have to worry about whether anyone bumps into you or not. Go in peace. Be restored to the community. To the little girl, Jesus says, give her something to eat. And, and, and that sounds like something, well, well big deal. You know, but the reason why I'm pointing this out is because Jesus is not just healing people spiritually. We as Christians tend to think that the most important thing and the only thing that matters at all is the soul. And that's true, kind of. But in these stories, we notice that Jesus doesn't just care for the soul. The man who is a demoniac is restored to his culture. He's clothed in his right mind and sitting at Jesus' feet. All Luke had to tell us was, Jesus cast the demons out of the guy and we'd be good. But Luke goes on to say, no, he's clothed, he's in his right mind, and he's sitting at Jesus' feet. When a woman with a bleeding problem, all he has to do is heal her. But he does and he says, go in peace also, for the child, he just raised her from the dead. We would assume she's going to eat dinner later on. But Jesus turns around and says, give her something to eat. Because Jesus is concerned with the whole person. Not just with our spiritual condition, but with our physical, spiritual, social, religious, economic, you name it, well-being. So the question becomes, how do we apply this to our lives today? And let me just give a couple thoughts. Number one, Jesus was, as the point I just made, Jesus was attending to more than just people's spiritual well-being. He's concerned with more than just their spiritual well-being. Right? And this is an important point because sometimes we as Christians seem to think that the only thing that matters is their soul. And sometimes, and here's what I mean by that, sometimes what we do is we make our charity, our love, our compassion, our concern conditional on your response to my religious statements. You come to church and then I'll care about you. You go to Bible study and then we'll do this. And Jesus doesn't always operate that way. By the way, there are stories in the Gospels where Jesus heals people and they never get saved. Jesus healed a blind man in the Gospel of John who was blind 
told to go wash in a certain uh, 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 fountain, meaning he never saw Jesus. He didn't know who healed him. And then, and then the, the religious leaders come up and say, who healed you? He's like, I don't know. Jesus didn't care for his soul at that point in time. He only cared for the physical well-being. It was later that the man's spiritual condition was cared for as well. And, and this becomes difficult. We, we've got tension here. Uh, tension because we need to, as Christians, we're to care for the people and also about their soul and also about their well-being. But we care holistically about them. Sometimes we talk about you know, doing justice. Uh, and, and, and the concern is, well, if we only care about doing justice for justice' sake, then that becomes what's called the social gospel. You haven't heard that idea? The, the social gospel is that, that Jesus called us to do, to do good and to, to do justice, and, and that's all we care about. And, and that's true and good, but that's not all we care about. Mark chapter 8 says, What shall a prophet a man to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? If Jesus comes along and brings healing to somebody, but their soul is not cared for, then, well, guess what? You, you lived a better life, but there's an eternal destiny. And so we need to be concerned about both, about living a better life, but about also an eternal destiny. They both go hand in hand. Uh, and this is the messy part of church. The question I, I ask on the outline is this. If we only care about a person's soul, do we really care about the person? We have to care about both. Uh, the deacons and, uh, have been going through a process recently about putting together a new benevolence request form, which is really important and, and a good thing. Uh, a benevolence request form means you know, you're requesting financial support from the deacons. And if you're not aware, we have a deacons board, uh, board and they have some, some money and access, access to some money there uh, in a fund. And if you need financial help or material support, you can make a request to the deacons. Well, on this benevolence request form, uh, um, part of it, what we added to it is, hey, we also want to care for your soul. So we're asking you to, and everybody will be different, go to church regularly if you don't already. Uh, attend a Bible study if you don't already. Uh, do, do the serve event if you don't already. And, and it's going to be on that form. And, and a person comes back a year later, and they say, I need help again. And we're going to say, great, we're here to help you. But did you care for your soul also? Did you go to church like, like we asked you? Did, did you attend a Bible study like we asked you? Did you uh, attend a serve event like, like we asked? Because there's the need to do both, or to do all of the above. And we see that Jesus was not simply concerned with their salvation, their conversion. He cared for the body, the soul, and the mind. Now, number two. Notice that the more one ha what has been set free... Let me say it again. The more one has been set free from, the more boldly one tends to profess Jesus. Notice these three stories. The disciples are on a boat with a violent storm. A demoniac who has a thousand demons or more, he's cast out of him. A woman with a bleeding problem and a child who is dead. And notice the response. The least favorable response was the disciples who say, Master, Master, who is this guy? Even the wind and the waves obey him. The best response is the demoniac and the woman with the bleeding problem. In both cases, they tell everybody about Jesus, which is exactly what the parable of the sower is all about. Because the sower goes on to say, a lamp is not, put, is not meant to be hidden. Nobody put under a bed. Meaning, 
the one who bears fruit, the one who has the good soul, is the one who professes Jesus. And of the three options, the disciples are actually the least faithful. And it reminds us that sometimes we need to be reminded what we've been saved from. The people that seem to be the, the, the ones who, who get it the most, the, 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 the most uh, uh, vibrant followers of Jesus are the ones who have been saved from the most. They know the hell that they've lived through. They know what Christ rescued them from. I was saved as a young man. My conversion story is simple. I was in junior church, children's church as we called it back in the day. We had been going to church for about a year. Uh, I was sitting there in, in uh, children's church, and I remember very well, there was no one, to my left and, uh, no one to my left and no one to my right. And I was in a Baptist church. So in a Baptist church, you have an altar call every Sunday. Come forward. We sing Just As I Am 325,000 times until the last person, right? You know how it goes, right? Until the, till the last person comes forward. We don't want to end this service with someone going to hell if we were just saying one more stanza of the song. So they're singing the, the altar call. I'm joking, by the way, and, and, and playing with I, I was. I grew up Baptist. I can do that. Okay, here we go. All right. Uh, anyways, and, and all of a sudden, someone said, you need to go forward. And it wasn't anybody speaking out loud. In my opinion, God said, you need to go forward. I'm like, oh, I had never once in the year that I had been attending church, I've been going to church for about a year now, I had never once ever thought I should go forward for an altar call. Never, ever thought about it. I need to accept Jesus as my Savior. Never thought about it. And all of a sudden, God said, go forward. I went, okay. And I went forward. I was baptized several weeks later, and I've been a Christian ever since I was about seven or eight years old. That's a wonderful story, but at the same time, I never went through the hell that some of you have gone through. I've never gone through the, the depths of despair that some of you have been through. And so sometimes it's harder for people like me who've only experienced the grace of God for most all of my life to be as vocal and as outspoken and as bold as those of you who experienced the depths of despair and have seen Christ lift you out. We're going to go through the next couple chapters of the Gospel of Luke, uh, starting next week, chapter 9. And uh, we're going to see Jesus send the disciples out. Uh, chapter 9, he's going to send uh, the 12 out. Chapter, 12, he's going to, chapter 10, he's going to send the 70 out. Uh, Jesus is going to go on to explain something that I think we sometimes lose sight of in, in the church. And that is, by the chapter 9 of the Gospel of Luke, he's sending others out to do the work of the kingdom. You see, we kind of think that the work of the kingdom is the work of Jesus and maybe the pastor. And what we're going to find out is that the work of the kingdom is ours. You give them something to eat. We're going to look at in a few weeks when he feeds the multitudes. I'm going to equip you, Jesus says, all of you to go do the work of the kingdom. A good seed, uh, the good soil, is the one who bears fruit because they don't hide the light of Christ. And the question is, is how are we going to respond to Jesus? And very briefly, some of you say, well, that's all fine and dandy, but I'm not ready to do that because, you know, I don't know what to say. Uh, because uh, I've never been equipped. Uh, uh, you know, I, I, I don't have the answers. And the answer is, you know what, just go out and build relationships with people. Just go out and build relationships with people. And God will give you the things to say as you go. 
Come back here. Pastor Rob, somebody asked me this question. I'll be happy to help you. There's others here that can help guide you. Just go be the light of the world because be careful how you listen. A lamp has not come to be hidden. Lord, we come to you this morning. We thank you for these stories because they remind us that even the disciples aren't always the best at things. And Lord, for those of us that have had these stories like mine where we've really only experienced your grace most of our lives and I haven't lived through the despair of so many, I thank you for that. I thank you that I haven't had to go through that and that you've spared me of that. But Lord, help me to never be robbed of joy and boldness. And others who are like myself, who are here or listening online, help us not to be robbed of the boldness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Lord, for those who have been through despair, who have been to the bottom and back, may you help that light of the gospel of Jesus Christ to shine brightly in their hearts and to proclaim the gospel with boldness and fervency. And Lord, for others who are beginning the journey or not even sure if they're on the journey, help us to continuously ask the question, who is this man? Even the wind and the waves obey him. So that over time we might learn more and more and more that you're not just the master, you're the Lord. We thank you for all that you've given to us now. We pray your blessings upon us. In the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you would like more information on the Determined Truth podcast, you can find us on iTunes. You can follow Rob's blog at DeterminedTruth.com or purchase his books on Amazon.com. See you next time.